So it seems everyone is jumping on this bandwagon for TikTok. We see a lot of, of the ripple effects that are being felt here in the West and even in the EU countries. India actually banned TikTok a few years ago. And we all know about the current security risks, especially in the collection of user information that's allegedly being shared with the Chinese government and is used for surveillance and potentially manipulation purposes. So I will leave this specific issue to be debated in a future episode. But this week on Tech Uncensored, I want to focus on the TikTok economy that has been created. My name is Hesse Jones. And despite what side of the aisle you're on in this debate, we can't actually argue that TikTok has created an industry. We can't argue that it has created an industry that has had these profound effects on business as well as users. Apparently, what I read is that influencers can earn anywhere from $500 to even $20,000, depending on the level of audience engagement. It's a medium that's consumed primarily by the Gen Z era, and it's in 150 countries, 101 billion users worldwide. And it's consumed by about 130 million Americans and 3.2 million Canadians on a monthly basis. So we're also seeing in 2022 that TikTok's annual revenue from ads came in at about $11 billion. And that was a 200% increase from 2021. So the implications are that if TikTok is permanently banned, it doesn't only impact some of these users. The income that's generated from this emerging influencer economy is also going to be impacted. And then not to mention the small businesses, the medium businesses that who have actually come to rely on it to generate their own growth. So I'm pleased today to welcome Sergey Ross, who is a video content creator. He's a YouTuber. And he's worked with businesses to leverage this power of content when it comes to these emerging formats in video, in podcasting, in demand generation. He's also the co-founder of a new video production company called Sway to bring his creator knowledge to the B2B space. So Sergey will help us dissect the importance of the more coveted content formats like TikTok and what founders should do if this platform is permanently banned in Canada. So welcome, Sergey. Thank you, Hassi. Pleasure to be here. Lots to talk about. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm so excited about this. Okay, so you consider yourself a YouTuber, right? You have, yes. Okay. You so you profess your views on various topics. I've seen your YouTube videos where you're passionate about the events in Ukraine and Russia. And your videos have been viewed by tens of thousands, you, sorry, tens of thousands of users, I would say. So suffice it to say, you are early to TikTok, right? You yeah, are a fan I mean, of this channel. Definitely, definitely. I, I think it, 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 it's, it's probably the TikTok growth really skyrocketed last year, 2022. And especially when you start speaking about the war in Ukraine and political events, it's incredibly polarized and it attracts a lot of people. If you have a strong opinion, like, like usually I do, then it attracts even more people. So it just creates this, this effect of commenting and, and liking or, or hating the content. And that helps the algorithm. 
paradoxically, or maybe not. So one, I'm not sure who he is. He He's a social media influencer, I would assume, but he, his name is Brendan Gunn. And he said that if TikTok is banned, YouTube will become the de facto platform over Instagram. So what he says is, and I quote, it fosters deeper creator audience relationship and it offers the most creator friendly revenue sharing model. Meanwhile, Instagram is still facing backlash over prioritizing reels and has just paused their creator bonus program. So tell me what you think about his comments about YouTube over Instagram. I think he's right. I think the YouTube is a better model and in terms of the revenue sharing and in terms of taking over a potential space that will be freed up if TikTok leaves, it, it likely will be YouTube Shorts because YouTube is valuing creator creator community more in a way than Instagram. Instagram, it's always Facebook. It's always Meta. It's always Zuckerberg. And people don't like that. I would also say it is not a done deal because that's not the way that apps work. App could have a terrible perception of TikTok, yet it still could be very popular. There's nothing stopping Meta with coming up with a different creator revenue shared model that is very attractive and, and, and it's better than YouTube to only to grab more people to use that platform. So it's not a done deal at all. And, and Facebook with all their reputation and negative reputation, they still know how to bring attention. It's not worth discontinuing, like completely taking them off the map immediately as things stand. It likely it, it is likely will be YouTube instead of Instagram. It'll be interesting, though, because you mentioned Facebook, whether or not they're able to do this, because I don't know many Gen Z's that are on Meta. Facebook is one thing. Instagram could be a, a different, you know, a different case. Do you agree? For, yes, for yes, I, 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 yes. I mean, the, the reason I mentioned Facebook is because obviously Instagram is a part of their part owned by Facebook and, and branding wise, they do look a little bit different. But still, it, it is that one evil or friendly empire, depending on which part of the camp it's you're the in. It's you know, right? <laughs> exactly. So, so we'll have to see. It's, it's, it's difficult to say if TikTok will be banned. If, if they will be banned, it's 150 million Americans, or you mentioned 140. I think it's about 150 or roughly that range using every month and 2.3 ad revenue worldwide. That's big shoes to fill and YouTube would love to take take over or anybody else for that matter. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so tell me what your specific perspective is on this whole debate about uh, the TikTok banning and uh, the, the founder going in front of Congress pleading. No, I wouldn't yeah. say he was kidding. But, but, but even for the content that you create, the security of the mm. information, of your information that you're putting out there, what what impact does this have, like, let's say, right now on your business and what it could have if, if you know, it were to be banned? Yeah, since I have spoken about politics over the last year quite extensively, and, and China is very involved with Eastern Europe and, and Ukraine and Russia, I have a perspective what China is trying to do. China is looking, and even before we get to that, there are two ways to look at TikTok. There's one looking at from government politics perspective. And there's another one looking from a creative perspective. So if we look from the government perspective, I will say it does make sense to, to ban TikTok because Chinese Communist Party, they are, they absolutely have ability to make anyone who is on the territory of China, any company to comply with their regulations and their data. Now that's a possibility. And Apple found out that 
when Chinese started to crank on 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 the tech on on the foreign or Western technology companies trying to put more emphasis on their own companies. Chinese world perspective right now is to be a peacemaker and to put as much influence on the world as possible, specifically on the countries that are not under the United States umbrella, which mostly countries in the South and use international platforms like United Nations to do so. They want to be another superpower. They are a superpower. They want more. So it, it's, it's a global competition, superpower to superpower. From that perspective, even if TikTok is claiming, and this is probably true, that yes, we have the servers for U.S. users on U.S. soil, and we are doing this project, Texas, pro- Texas project that they're doing, which is 1.5 billion to make sure that there are folks from U.S. government that, that can oversee the data. It's still a Chinese company. There still is going to be a way to use a quote unquote balloon to somehow extract the data. So for United States, it's a national security threat. And the way they would view it as a potential threat of going head to head with a big power like China. And from that perspective, it absolutely makes sense to, to ban it because the, the, they are the biggest competitor and they will be for the nearest for the next decades, which was very clear by Xi Jinping statements that he made when he visited Moscow even before. We don't even take the Taiwan part. So that's all not government. And it does make a lot of sense because TikTok does collect your your content. It can look at your messages. It can look at your look at your email, all of it. And uh, as we know in, in the IT world, if it's if this data has been recorded and and it's been sent over over the internet to one server, it can easily end up on the right server on another end of of the world. Yeah, so, so that that's 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 quite obvious from a creator perspective. I mean, that would be terrible, uh, absolutely, because there's no other platform right now that allows to creators get so much organic reach, meaning make your content as discoverable as possible, especially when you're starting early attracting that many comments, that many views, building your brand, and then building a certain influence. Nobody allows that as much as TikTok. And that would be quite terrible, not only for people who are already making money, but also for people who are starting to make money. Okay. So, and, and that makes sense. And I, I assume that that, can I, can I ask? And, yes. And you could just allude to that. You don't have to give specifics, but given, given your... I guess, engagement with the TikTok channel. Would you say that it has significant impact on the performance of your business? Not at the moment. Not at the moment because I've used TikTok primarily for my personal channels as a content creator first and not as a business owner. In terms of, in terms of the business, it, it will have an impact because uh, we haven't started working on TikTok from, from the business perspective, because we were relatively early and there's lots of other channels to develop, which we will speak in a moment, but it will have an impact because of that organic reach. And truth to be told, TikTok does attract a lot of older people, 40, 50 plus people are on TikTok and content works when people leave comments. And if they're real comments and they are on TikTok, that is something that we will, it's a valuable channel that we can potentially lose. Okay. So take us back a little bit before TikTok. I guess in the last so many years, you you actually became a fan of video content. Um, was there a, a defining moment for you that that brought you to doing what you're doing today? I think there was. I've always wanted to be a reporter. I always wanted to be on TV and speaking on TV. I just always enjoyed it. So back when I before I immigrated to Canada, when I was in Ukraine, it was just fun. It, it was amazing. And I always enjoyed it. It was radio or TV. And then 
that was like before, before, I mean, radio was still kind of relevant, but not as much. And so there was always this moment of trying to find a way, how do you do that? Because at first when I came to Canada, I didn't speak English nearly well enough to be, to be on air anywhere. So then in 2018, I wanted, I, I said, I wanted to be making videos. This was just something that I felt was incredibly important for me personally, as a creative person, that's how I, I started creating all kinds of videos, different formats, primarily for YouTube, some for TikTok, and then it kind of developed and you, you know, you want to do more now, I want to do more. And then 2022, obviously political events that happened, it just made it very, very easy in a way to find topics because it's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. And even though I'm not a, I'm not a politician, I don't have, I'm not, an, I don't have any majors in politics, I have a perspective as Ukrainian. So that's uh, became quite valuable. Okay. So this, this space is, is fairly nascent. I, I would say, I would say YouTube and video isn't, but the way that TikTok has been able to create a of a more, I'd say accessible channel for, for people to create really quick video in, in fairly easy ways. Like what kind of experiment, experimentation have you actually done from a content perspective? And what, what has worked for you? Right. To YouTube or general TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. You always, it's interesting because a lot of creators or people who are creating content on YouTube started with something very silly, very, very silly. Like you go back to their videos and a lot of them hidden their videos. Now it starts with usually with very stupid, terrible comedy, like awful, awful comedy. And, and weirdly, I, I was, I also made quite a few videos that didn't do very well. Lip syncs. I've done some parody videos that are all right now are hidden because that would look very strange. There was those few and then some, some coaching and uh, self-development, which is always interesting. Like how do you live better life? So there were a, a lot of topic experimentation and then format experimentation, purely voiceover videos, videos with uh, just walking around the, with a camera, just showing things and just purely speaking into the camera, I've done uh, stand-up style videos, trying to talk about comedy or, or talk or, or just cover certain topics. I think it was around just everyday life, which was extraordinarily hard to do as if you're not a comedian full-time. And then on TikTok, I didn't experiment that much. It was mostly talking head videos, mostly talking head. It was just purely. And then some of the, some of the videos I also tried on TikTok were repurposed short clips from other interviews that I would mix up with different music and add effects with a few Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley CEOs. And then some, some of them would really work well. So tell me, tell me about a story about one of those Silicon Valley CEOs. Is that, is that almost like a benefit for, for an emerging YouTuber or someone who, who actually wants to do this full time? You mean from a perspective of just speaking about those people? Yeah, exactly. What example can you give about the yeah. interviews and what was yeah. the impact of it? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so this is a little different. So, so I put down that specific example on TikTok. That was a video about Elizabeth Holmes' eyes. <laughs> that did Theranos, Holmes, right? Theranos, exactly. That, that, there was a, a funny, I mean, I just found it to be very bizarre. And, and, and actually a few million other people did. As, as, we, as we found out, that clip did very well. And that was actually from a video when I was explaining the Theranos case on YouTube that did quite well in terms of views. But what you are, what you are referring to, this was um, in, a, in around 2019, I started a podcast series and I spoke with a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs at a certain point. 
I mean, I was interviewing somebody from the UK, a, a lady who was, was in charge of a 500 people company. And then their PR person uh, was there and they liked my interview. They really liked the final output. And then, so she was connecting me in the future with quite high profile people in the United States to do interviews with. And one of them was, um, Oleg, who was a CEO of a company, people.ai, they've raised a lot of money in, in, in Silicon Valley. And there, there were a few other people that was purely on a podcast format. And I don't think I released it. Well, actually one video is on my YouTube, but it was mostly on Spotify and Apple podcasts. So there was an experimentation on the podcast front purely because I really liked interview genre in general. And that, that's what, that was, that was not the experimentation that I actually started with before going into video. Okay. So, so let's talk about best practices and some of the learnings that you've been able to garner along the way. So let's take your company, for example, you're launching or you've launched a new company yeah. called Way. So take us through like your thought process when you're actually developing, let's say your content strategy for this, like how would you go about it understanding who your audience is this way? Yeah, I think it starts with the unique point of view. What are we, are we trying to, what are we trying to, what are we trying to say? Who are we trying to be? Very generic, very vague answer, but it's true. You need to have a certain unique position. And, and what is the unique position? For us, it's just making videos that are, that want to be consumed by people and videos that, that are quite simple to make, but maybe they're not the, the sexiest looking, but they are, they're focused on consumption and they are done at scale. And, it's be, and, and so we, we look at the distribution from a, from a YouTube perspective or from, from a creator perspective, not from a traditional creative TV personnel, person who edits videos and, and that's what they do because they, we look at it as, as marketing people. What we have done, we obviously built a website. We, we looked at the, the point of view and then we identified a few topics that we have a very strong opinion on. What are the challenges in the industry uh, that, that, that exist? What is the gap that we're trying to fill in the market? And we started speaking about it on LinkedIn. We started posting either a podcast with my co-founder, a few, a few sound bites, a short clips there, or in text, text, text-based posts. That was just the initial, initial start. And then later on, we, we started a podcast called Winning on Video. That is very, very specific with people who know a lot, where we will speak about what specifically have they done to grow a certain channel that makes that just purely for brand awareness. The other thing we've, we've decided to do is and that is related to our goal, which I'll speak about in a moment, is to build a database of the best B2B companies that do video really well and break it down and show exactly why they do video well. For example, Zoom Info did a, a specific series that worked really well. Why? Well, there's scripting, then there is, there's distribution, there's thumbnails, there's titles. We'll break it down and we'll show what it is. Plus, there will be a short interview with that content creator from Zoom Info that led the whole effort. And so we'll have a database, if you would call it a swipe file of the best B2B companies that do video well, and we will explain why they do well. So you could copy it or you could take, you could take an inspiration from it. And the reason for that is because for our company, for Sway, we wanted to be, we wanted to be an influencer style company, not just purely to make money and to edit videos, because there are lots of companies that do that. What we want to do is build a community to help, to teach people how they can do it themselves, how to build a video framework and the whole video engine and apply it within the company so they can consistently produce videos almost like a YouTuber, but do it on, on a B2B level because there's a giant potential for that. And so that's the reason we, we, we wanted to focus a lot on brand awareness and focus a lot on, on, on content that people would find interesting just in, in, uh, just in general for video 
And then later on, we will speak about specifics in B2B, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. So in terms of efficacy for, for each channel, like how do you know to, okay, tell me about like the, the algorithms. And, the, and this is purely from a performance perspective. Like what are what are the the signals that we need to be aware of that will make some of the content that we put in some of these channels more effective? Like how how do you how do you do that? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's just the context of the platform. What is the context and who's on the platform? If it's LinkedIn, it is something a little bit more professional. So maybe taking a few notches down on memes and you know just but still being personal. You still don't want to sound like. We started this webinar at 8 p.m. Go sign up. That's a bit weird. Like we installed this new poll bar in our office. Not the most engaging content, not the most original. So, so context of the platform, it's more related to business. It has to be relevant to the audience. It's something that people would find valuable. How do you know? How do you know what is valuable? You would find out who you want to speak to. Like what are the types of people you would want to be speaking to? We knew it with Sway because it was quite, quite obvious it's directors, VPs of marketing or content leads, because that's who is involved in video production. So for us, it was relatively easy. You, you would need to find out who you need to speak to and just follow a lot of people who are active on LinkedIn and see the type of content they like and what resonates with them. Understanding that context helps you identify the type of posts to create. It's very, it's almost impossible to do it any other way. It's going to be very difficult if you're just posts about something that you have a cool idea about. It may perform, but most, so most often it will not. It's just finding and spending a lot of time browsing, browsing and clicking and viewing comments and seeing what, what resonates with these specific people, which is extraordinarily hard to do. We can make a separate episode where I could speak how to do that because it's not, LinkedIn doesn't help owned by Microsoft, but, but it's, it's just finding that context and it's a, in a similar, in a similar thing on, on YouTube. Okay. I, I just wanted to add, it's funny because I forgot that it was, was owned by Microsoft. But uh, on that on that point, you could actually take their chat GPT and see if you could you could filter specific accounts and say, okay, what is the commonality in terms of like popular content based on views or whatever among these specific? Oh, accounts? nice. No, I'm I'm saying you could probably do that at some point. You could probably do that. <laughs> probably do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's a whole. That's a whole. But the way that LinkedIn's evolved. It, it does leave a lot to be desired, especially with how sales navigator works. Yes, there's certainly potential. So, okay, to, let's pivot a little bit on audio. So podcasting, you do, you do podcasting as well. Yep. Uh, tell me about your views on, I guess, the current state of podcasting today. I think because of, I don't know, I, I've heard, seen reports about how podcast podcast uh, shows it's increasing it's on the rise listeners worldwide are growing i think i think i saw something like 465 million listeners as of 2023 but on the uh, on the flip side the actual advertising revenue year over year is actually yeah. going down so what are your thoughts on that podcasting a lot of shows very few good ones very few, the way to, because very few understand how to do a good interview and how to stand out. That really comes down to, to marketing. It comes down to finding good guests with podcasting. Primarily, you're looking for either to create high quality content or to build relationships to sell something later. It's very difficult to do both. It is possible, but very difficult. So if you were to do high quality content, 
I would probably recommend just to steal the format that CNN, BBC, Guardian, and, and Sky News use when they interview somebody in a four or five minute interview. It's a short, very specific, very to the point. That one is easier. If you could steal that format, make a short interview with somebody who knows what they're talking about, that show will already resonate and, and probably do well. The reason I'm suggesting that and not doing more like humor or, or, or comedy or, or more creative style, it is possible if you already have that, like, of that, that potential, but it's very difficult to do. And there's all a lot of nuance. Uh, if you want just like a copy-paste model, a, a media model works quite well. If you want to do longer interviews, that's fine. That's probably going to be more relation, relationship building component. We'll have very few listeners. Okay, perfect. Okay, so let's talk about how you track performance. How do you attribute content execution from the perspective of actually leads and conversions? Yeah, you would ask a person, where did they come? And have they, you would ask, you would ask, where did they come? How do they hear about you? And uh, if the content was really good, they'll tell you, I actually saw this webinar. I saw this podcast. It was amazing. And they will mention it in the, either in the message or in the phone call. That would be the way to know that it worked. Another way, if they liked it. Another way, if they commented on it. And the sure way would be to ask them. There, there's, it's very difficult to attribute it directly with some software. Oh, you can't. Okay. So you're saying that it has to be, it has to actually be somehow captured either through, you know, talk or some kind of email or I don't know, text. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. It's very difficult to do it, do, do it, do it any other way. If, if to do it at scale, it's more likes and comments, but in terms of there are, there is software that promises to do so, but I rarely seen it work the way that it should. Okay. So how do you know, like over the long haul, let's say you've done yeah. 50, 50 videos already. How do you know when things are working, when, when things see, are resonating? People will tell you about it. They'll comment on it. They'll send you a direct message. Anytime you speak with somebody, they're like, your audience will, will mention it to you. You also will see the metrics on whatever formats of the podcast or video you're doing. You'll just see a certain spike quite quickly. You're averaging 30 views. I know the video does 200. That's awesome. Amazing. Okay. What did we do differently? So the baseline always varies depending on the platform, depending on the type of content. But then if you see a certain spike, then you would know, okay, something did, something worked well. Okay. So um, last question, what does the future look like with these em emerging formats? You yourself, uh, I, I would assume are Gen Z, right? You are a Gen Z. I, I think I'm a millennial. I don't actually, I never, I'm not very fluent on the, the, the cutout, uh, you know, the cutouts. 199, I don't know. I have a feeling 1999, 2000 is when millennial ends or sorry, Gen Z starts, but like, right. so, but you probably have like a similar mindset or, you know, yeah. What, yeah. what resonates yeah. with them. How do you think content is going to evolve in the coming years? I, I think it's going to be short form. Short form is going to be even more, even more powerful because it just works so well. It's not going away and, and. Certainly, certain United States officials could say that it's distracting and destroys our kids. I understand that point, but we're long past the point of, of trying to put it back. It's just not happening. Yeah. It's going to be short form content, bite-sized content. Uh, we're likely we'll see competitors to Twitter emerging because people will always want fast information, contextual information that, that is fun, that is fun and, and, it, and it's memes. It, it is short videos. We'll likely see evolution of that. The bigger evolution will happen with AR, likely. Apple will be announcing their headset later this year. It will be the first 
first one, for certainly for the biggest company ever to, to get into it. It's not going to be VR like Meta, Meta has done and other companies, but it's going to be AR. It's still going to be bulky with an external battery, but we at least will get a glimpse of what could we do with communication when our real world is overlaid with virtual world. And that could be an interesting preview of what's about to come because I could imagine content, certain content will appear from it, but it will always come down to whether this could be replicated to the masses and not follow the Google Glass trajectory. Yes. I don't think I've heard of Google Glass in the last couple of years. I have a feeling it's kind of secretly tucked away. So it, It's been discontinued. It's been discontinued. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay, so I think that's all we have time for today. Sergey, where can people find you? Usesway.co. Usesway.co, that's our company page. Uh, uh, if you want to connect on LinkedIn, probably is the easiest. I wouldn't, I don't remember the actual URL that I use. I think it's Sergey Ross Live. Sergey okay. Ross Live, I think without periods, commas, or, or spaces. I think that's what it is. And we, we could probably put something in the description. And if you guys really want to connect, like leave a comment to this page. When this comes out, I'll find you. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. So if you and our audience have any ideas on topics that you want us to cover, please email us at communications at altitudeaccelerator.ca. We're also on podcasts, so Tech Censored, wherever you find your podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Hesse Jones, and until next week, have fun and stay safe. Tech and Censored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Blue Max. For more Tech and Censored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemax.io to join us on Discord.